Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, good morning, Miss Sharon Pierce. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to our makeshift studio. I know. It's nice. It's not as nice as our studio, but... But where are we? Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm so excited (laughs) to be at an in-person meeting. Of course, you were a little bit ill with me because I couldn't get up here quite on <laughs> well, time. Well, you know, you got to get down there and jack those jaws a little bit. I know you well enough to know that. Yeah, so. I know. It used to be shaking the hands and kissing the babies, <laughs> and now <laughs> you can't do either of those. So. Right, exactly. But so I'm we're just at so the, glad. the North Carolina and South Carolina mm-hmm. combined meeting, and I understand they've sold out, sold out the block of rooms. I mean, it's that's huge. a good sign. People um, want to be back in person. They do. They do. Everybody's so happy to see each other. Yeah, it's great. Well, I'm looking forward to our full day of podcasting today. So uh-huh. we're gonna we're gonna do several today with some really really good guests, and we have one this morning. Absolutely, Corinne Chassi. Chassi. Okay. See, I so, always get the last names yeah, wrong. So. so what's that? Is that a French? French Canadian? Chassi. Oh, yeah, and, and if you're cultured, it's Chassi. Oh, but, but, but we're not cultured. <laughs> and if you're really not cultured, it's toss. Ah. <laughs> so it's toss. It kind of reminds me of the street that I live on. So so I, I live on a street, and I'm going to spell it for you, and I want you to say it. It's B-E-A-U-C-H-A-M-P. Beauchamp? Beauchamp. Beauchamp. I would have thought Beauchamp. Yeah. Well, my mother-in-law, who, it's in Davie County, North mm-hmm. Carolina. It's a rural, rural, rural county, and... You know, the first time I pronounced the street, I said, it's Beauchamp. And she goes, it's not Beauchamp around here. It's Beecham. And I thought, oh, yeah. okay. She set me straight really, really quick. But when I tell it to anyone else who's not from Davie County, yeah. I say Beauchamp. So that's your name reminds me it's of that kind story. of universal. It's like Monroe, where I'm 
it's not Monroe, it's Monroe. Yeah. And Cherryville, yeah. Cherryville. Cherryville. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, Corinne, I'm looking forward to hearing about your topic this morning. Mm-hmm. And you've done a lot of missions work and disaster response work. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about, you know, how CRNAs are doing that probably more and more around yeah, the country. Yeah. But before we get started with that, why don't you tell our, our listeners a little bit about your background? And Obviously, an intensive care nurse for about 12 years. And, um, I um, went to school in Virginia, Old Dominion, graduated in 97, and can't believe it's already been that many years. It's crazy. It goes by fast. 90 seemed like yesterday. It did. I know. I think it was 10 years. I'm still listening to 90s music and think it's like, why isn't this on the radio? (laughs) 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 It's it's only yesterday, right? (laughs) We get it. That's right. Jeremy and I met in the 90s. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my husband and I did too. But um, so I'm at present. I'm a, a CRNA in a, a small, very busy community practice in Monroe, North Carolina. Um, we cover quite a few hospitals, mm-hmm. and um, started did some mission work, and then transitioned. There's two two uh, avenues through Samaritans first specifically where mm-hmm. it's volunteer, and then they actually kind of recruit you oh. for. It's called the DART. It's an international disaster assistance response team okay so i got recruited for that they attempted to recruit me in 2016 for the ecuador mm-hmm. earthquake mm-hmm. and um of course they said can you leave this week yeah of and, course uh, <laughs> and, and and um that's kind of the mentality you have to adopt with disaster response well and sure you don't know when right. the disaster is going to happen i guess and it doesn't obviously i'm employed full-time and uh-huh. have a family so that it doesn't always work out that way but so I've been doing the disaster response, and um, just uh, as you said, we're seeing with the rise in numbers, like within our own hospital, that we're actually being deployed within our hospital right. outside of our role, mm-hmm. outside yeah. of the operating room. Especially with COVID. And, with COVID, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there, there's such a shortage of oh. nurses in general, oh. and then the CRNAs as well. So. And then... You can see it when you walk into the ICU, it's written on their faces. My heart breaks for them, really. Yes. They are exhausted. So in my feeling, anything that we can do at all, you know, to uh, ease their burden a little bit, because this has been an ongoing war mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. You know, it's just amazing. So, all right, so you got recruited. Mm-hmm. So name some of the places that you've been. Well, my very first trip was to um, outside Mosul, Iraq. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. I've been watching Homeland lately. I'm serious. I don't want to hear about well, this. Well, it was, let me tell you, and I'll touch on this in my talk, but it was a, it was very interesting beforehand, <laughs> you know, and it was a, it's a, was a very intense deployment, combat, anesthesia, essentially what the, with Mosul under ISIS control, either the hospitals had been destroyed or the few standing ones were under ISIS control, which nobody wanted to go to those. So the closest hospital is Irville, which was almost two hours at least, because you had all these military checkpoints. So people were dying on the road. So um, You were getting past that golden hour. Yes, way past, way past, just getting them out of Mosul. And Doctors Without Borders was doing what they could, but... So the, actually, the um, the Iraqi Department of Health approached Samaritan's Purse, and in joint with the WHO, they put out a two OR 
I believe it's 50 bed trauma hospital mm. wow. out in a, in tents right outside of Mosul and, and that's I, where you were that's at that's where I was wow yeah just just some of the interesting uh, one morning, about three in the morning, we had like porta johns and, and trailers, yeah. and they would echo when you'd slam the door. And oh. I heard this door, and I'm like, and then it, again, I'm like, who is slamming the bathroom door mm-hmm. at three in the morning? And then I felt, <clears throat> and oh, I realized wow. it was an airstrike. Oh my! Uh, so they were bombing. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've often thought, you know, being over there and being in the middle of that and one of our, our planes coming by and bombing, what that must feel like. Now, I mean, military people, I mean, you never get used to it, but they've been around it. Right, but just right. for your average person out yeah. there in their home and then there's a U.S. airstrike or yes. whoever it is. You know, with that amount of firepower, I can't imagine. And we, they were close enough in the beginning where, where they were pushing ISIS through the east to the west part. Mm-hmm. There you heard gunfire and wow. bombs. And that was in the beginning. What they determined from that is that there's levels of stress. And if you have somebody at a red level too yeah. much, they push up into a gray level, which is where they're like almost frozen. Mm-hmm. They say frozen brain. Right. Mm-hmm. So what they were finding out, just what you were talking about, they would have to rotate people out to yeah. the airview for a couple of days and get them out of that that red. Just even if they weren't directly threatened, right? It was the perception, right. like just like you said, hearing yeah. gunfire and explosions and. And think about these people. I mean, the military can rotate out, but if you live there and that's your yeah, life, you can't. Um, away from you can't I mean, that's mind boggling. And it is mind boggling. And I. Um, developed a very close relationship with a lot of the national staff Mm -hmm. and probably one of the saddest things I've heard was a 26 year old saying my life all I want is to have children and grandchildren and statistically Mm -hmm. he said the chances of that happening for me are very low because this country is always at war even when it's not a, a outright declared war like it was in that situation but all the factions in the sure like as a surgeon said, he was driving down the street, one of the surgeons, and he looked behind him and a car bomb went off. And he said, oh, five seconds, five wow. seconds. And wow. he said, it's a reality of our life. Yeah. How do you prepare yourself? I mean, mentally, physically for going into an environment well, like that? Well, in that case, it was really difficult because I am a reserve. I was reserved, right. but I've never had actual military. Right. And um, hadn't dealt ever with blast injuries, which mm-hmm. is That's got to be a rare thing in this country. Unfortunately, it's not unheard of yeah. on gunshots. And so I, um, I got a really good manual to try to. Right. But the other issue was that, and they, um, they were very good at preparing me. They, they meaning Samaritan's Purse. Okay. I had like two or three interviews, and this you have to understand. This whole hiring process was within a week. Wow. And then, and then you're gone? And then I was, yeah. Yeah, it actually worked out. It worked out unbelievably because we're very busy and we have a fairly small department. We can only have two people off, but I have the best boss mm-hmm. in the world. Best. And she just, she said, I think we can work this out. So how long were you gone? Three weeks. 
So about three and a half, I think, total. So you talk about blast injuries. Tell us a little bit about the anesthetic implications well, about blast injuries and how you handle those, because I, I, I'm sure you just push blood. <laughs> well, that's an interesting point. And the other half of this is that it was a large pediatric population. Oh, and they, and they, ISIS used women and children as human shields. And, um, yeah, it's a whole different evil. Mm. <laughs> that's all I can say on that. And they warn me ahead of time, but there is nothing that I probably 70 to 75 percent of the anesthetics I gave there were either women or children under the age of 16. Oh my. It, so um, the first day I was there, a mortar injury to a 12 year old liver. And, and, um, and I kind of knew that ahead of time, but that was kind of my fears. Like, I'm comfortable with pediatrics, but that's, that's a lot. whole new ball game. Yeah. So really, the anesthetic implications are essentially the same. The things you have to look for are like shock lung, they get ileuses, any hollow body, the mm -hmm. expansion, you know, and um, then the burns and little burn. It, it was just amazing. It was yeah. amazing. And um, just to prepare for, obviously, I'm. This is a very faith-based, and that plays right, heavily, right. heavily, absolutely, heavily. I had a lot of people praying for me, and my number one prayer was that I would rise to the level of care that these children deserve, even without having the experience of that. And uh, it was, again, this is my whole thing. When we step out of our comfort zone as CRNAs, it's incredible. We are an incredible profession. Mm -hmm. We have amazing skills and resources, and when we bring that to the table in unusual situations, Obviously, you benefit from it. Right. Even in a tragic situation, mm -hmm. I walked out of there feeling like, wow, I didn't know I was capable of this. Mm -hmm. And then the interesting thing you said about the blood, this is a war zone, limited blood supplies. Mm -hmm. You had to make very difficult decisions. Oh, my goodness. I guess so. But, I mean, now they have products. Well, not there. They didn't. They didn't. Was, no, we so had. So you're functioning like bare minimum. And we had a medical director. If we were in the middle of a case or a situation, and all of a sudden he would appear, and he'd say, "Is this patient viable?" Because mm. we're at four units of blood, and we can't use up our blood on someone that's probably going to die. We've got to save that for somebody we can save. Wow. Same thing, surgeons, the same decisions when they had to, if somebody had a severe <laughs> leg injury, they could not spend four or five hours reanastomosing vessels and nerves. Sure. They couldn't take up one of the two hours, so they'd have to amputate. So how has that influenced your thought processes back here? And, and this is where I'm going with uh -huh. this, because yesterday, where I was working at, there was a 97-year-old comes in with, you know, a GI bleed. Yeah. I mean, 97 yeah. years old. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so has that colored um, your thinking now that you're back here and what some of the things that we do? It does to some degree. Mm -hmm. It's it's hard for me because my mom's 94 and she can run circles around me. So, <laughs> I mean, she's unbelievable. Uh -huh. yeah. But, um, well, that's good it, for us, me. Yeah, you're going to be I hope so. I have her genetics. Uh -huh. Yes, definitely. But I think it did influence me somewhat, but in a way, not so much that 
we are wasting resources, which is always there, even before I went on this. Right. Yeah. I was like, we why are. are we doing this? Right. You know, where is palliative care in this situation? And let's let's direct the families honestly. But um, I think it just gave me, and this is one reason why I love doing these, because I always return with an incredible sense of gratitude. Sure, I bet. And it puts me in the focus. Like, we have a joke, and it's not one that we came up with. We heard it. First world problems. I can't fit my hand in the Pringles can. <laughs> yeah. no, first yes. world, that's a first world problem. Yes, uh, it is. Uh, I'm on the I talk about kids that all the time. I have, I have to get up. The, the remote's not working. Yeah. yeah. The Wi-Fi's spotty. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm thinking about, like I said, the decisions everywhere I've been that we've had to make that have been difficult, limited supplies, the whole COVID response, the walking into New York when I was the epicenter. Yeah. And um, at a time where the way that I describe that to people is that um, think about the planes hitting the Twin Towers every other day. The second week in April especially. That was what the death toll was like. And for to, it was still an unknown virus, COVID. And then come to the realization that they weren't going to make it. Right. I mean, that was a... So how long were you in New York? I was in New York for 31 days straight. Wow. Or, yeah, 30, about a month, and I worked every night. I worked night because I was tasked to be an ICU nurse, and within a day or two, it became really evident that... You had more skills. That they, and I was still, like, maybe take an easier, pay, a more stable patient, but I was setting up CPAPs, mm-hmm. troubleshooting ventilators I've never laid eyes on in my life, on the phone, doing screenshots to companies at 10 o'clock at night, and... Wow. Uh, doing, um, trying to figure out, that's kind of my uh, talk is, it occurred to me then, because we're across from Mount Sinai Hospital mm-hmm. in the middle of New York, and we still don't have enough CPAP. We don't have the medications that we needed to begin with. We didn't have any succinylcholine. We had VAC, and I'm like, I'm going to tell you right now, I am not intubating somebody on VAC. Right. <laughs> you're owning it. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, so until we got that. Um, so... That was kind of difficult because you walk out of this tent and there's a Manhattan skyline and there's Mount mm-hmm. Sinai. It's like, why are right. we... We don't have what we need. Why, in this, why are we struggling yeah. with well, this? Well, what I'm hearing from you, and this is something that I know because I've led CRNAs. CRNAs think outside of the box. Yes. And yes. they look uh, for ways to, to make it happen. And in the words of Bethany Hallong, who's the first nurse in the country to serve as lieutenant governor, she said the beauty about nurses is when they come up to a problem or a, a wall, yes. they go over it, under it, or around it. Absolutely. And they find a way. So what I'm hearing you say is that yeah. CRNAs rose to the occasion. Absolutely. And thought of a way to make it happen. Which, you know, sometimes I'll watch people on our periphery mm-hmm. um, where you work at, and yes. it's like, oh, my God, here's a problem, and what do we do now? And there's, you know, we always think of another way. Right. And that's kind of, when I was trying to come up for a, a uh, title for my talk, I was like, oh, the expanding role of CRNAs, you know, in uh, disaster response. And then I thought... It occurred to me in New York, and this has been true, like you said, I'm trying to construct a CPAP from what I have, and I thought, this is like chopped. 
Mm-hmm. What's in the basket? Mm-hmm. Can, you yeah. make Can you make an entree yeah. from the ingredients <laughs> in the basket? And I said, but it's medical chop. So that, exactly. So that's kind of like, yeah, I have a tourniquet, I have suction tubing, I got an anesthesia mask. Let's see if I can make a CPAP. Sounds uh, like NASA and what was it, Apollo 13? Yeah. Where he yeah. dumps all yeah. the stuff on the table and says, this is what we've got. Yeah. We've got to fix it. Work. Yeah. 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 As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. What were some of the, you know, as you think back on these experiences, some of your most positive, you know, thoughts as you kind of come Mm -hmm. past it when you look back on it? Something I already touched on about what we are capable of Mm -hmm. as a profession, and that has just been reinforced and reinforced and reinforced in every situation I've been in. And the potential to learn from other people, just like you mm-hmm. said, the people in the periphery, that has been huge. The development of relationships with people, I never, and I'll be very honest, when I would look at a mission trip, I would tell God I will not go to the Middle East, and I do not want to deal with Muslims. And, and guess, guess what? Where, guess where he put my my behind? Yeah. <laughs> and do you know, to this day, I have a large group of Muslim friends that I talk to almost twice three times a week, some of them. I have developed such a close relationship. Just to give you an example, I mean, this is the human element, but it is, I treasure that probably because it broke down that prejudice. Right. That they are people, they don't hate their women. Then I saw fathers with injured children just sleeping on the floor next to them. Mm. They love their children, they love their daughters, you know, that this is, Mm -hmm. they all aren't ISIS, you know, so that was a very good lesson for me, very good. And they're just amazing people. Just to give you an example, my daughter was having surgery and they knew about it and they were texting me from Iraq while I was in the waiting room. Wow. Saying that, you know, they were offering prayers to Allah. Wow. For my daughter, so you know, I think that's a huge, huge positive. And obviously, we are equipped to handle a lot of crisis anyway. I mean, that's the nature of our job. Right. That's what you do. Yeah, but that once again just reinforced we are capable of so much independently too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, there was no, there was no anesthesiologist in some of the places I've been. Mm-hmm. You know, and then especially at the right. hospital. The COVID hospital in New York, the reason that I was there every night is I was the one that could do airway. Mm-hmm. Sure. So how did the other staff see you and how did that role evolve for you? It was interesting because at first they weren't really sure, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, 
Because I find most nurses don't know what nurses they, they don't. do. And they don't. part They're, of that onus is on us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And see, that is one of the additional benefits of stepping out of your role, mm-hmm. your traditional role of an operating in the operating room, is that you are furthering the profession. You are showing other nurses, not just nurses, doctors, mm-hmm. you know. Um, what you're capable what of. What we're capable of. And if you're not, you know, you've heard me say this hundreds of times, Jeremy, if you're not all at, the table, at the table, you're on the menu. Absolutely. Oh, that's so great. You've got, you've, got to, you've got to step out. We just had this conversation in the anesthesia lounge where I'm doing some contract work at just a couple of days ago because I had asked the chief CRNA there, what committees do you serve on outside mm-hmm. of uh, the operating yeah. room? And she's... She's very smart, and she starts naming off all of these committees. And some of the CRNAs were kind of like, well, you know, you really think you should be there? Like, if you're not there. Absolutely. Even if you your vote doesn't count, you still better be there at the table. And, yes. and she is. Yeah. She's at every single table, and she'll fight for CRNAs, even if she loses, right. and, and she comes out pretty battered sometimes. Well, then, if, then if the 10% represents the 90? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Much well, the, it's yeah, what, Pareto's principle or something is yeah. supposed to be 80-20, 80, 20, but it's really 90-10. And that's a really good point, because I inadvertently have tried to do that just because I really enjoy teaching, mm-hmm. too, and interacting. So I've taught, I've taught PACU nurses, done, you know, PACU nurses, mm-hmm. and we have an early college academy, and I'm on the board for that. And we just did like a virtual. Now, thank God, we know we're hoping we won't have to do that in the future. But we sure. were in an operating room with a surgeon and did a virtual with a robot and was showing him the Da Vinci and you know yeah. and that kind of thing. And you're exactly right because I can tell you, the people on that board that I meet with knew nothing about what a CRNA was. Sure. And that's community walk. That's now yeah. you're impacting the community. And you yeah. know, it's the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. You know, we, we talked about positive experiences, mm-hmm. and I was just thinking back to that medical director's job in Mosul mm-hmm. when he walked in and said, is this patient viable? Yeah. And the amount of stress, I mean, if you do it every day, you don't even tend to notice it, mm-hmm. but I can't even imagine what that medical director goes through on a daily Absolutely. basis. I mean, so are there times that you remember that were really difficult for you and yeah, as a matter of fact, oh. ah. this is the name of a 15-year-old. It, she's showing us a tattoo on yeah, her. Yeah, it's in Arabic, and his name was Abdullah, <clears throat> and he was a beautiful 15-year-old who had been shot by a nice sniper, and it had entered his right leg and exited and shattered his left femur. Hmm. 
and he was healthy and he he did beautifully and he just we connected right away and I would see him almost every day there he was doing washouts and they had an X fix on him so they were adjusting and he did great for a week and I would bring him M&M's you know yeah. and, and um, he would just smile when he saw me well long story short something happened I don't know if he ended up septic and within 24 hours he just went downhill he mm. went into we couldn't figure out his hemoglobin dropped to four he was on the highest dose of love of fat I've ever seen norepinephrine mm-hmm. and, and he was totally unre- not responding to it and I even gave him a blast of Neo and, just to see. and just to see and I just it was unbelievable how fast because he was such a healthy boy and I will never forget because he would he um, ended up having I think he had a stress ulcer on top of it and I think that's where a lot of bleeding was because he ended up having a large emesis mm-hmm. that was obviously a couple times but the way he looked at me I will never forget because I was hovering and this is one outside of, he was in the ICU mm-hmm. and I was hovering that and I got it on you know an IJ big line in and the medical director says all right he's had four units of blood we can't give him anymore mm. this is it and the way we dealt with that is in that setting we would gather together around him and we would pray mm-hmm. and just say just help us guide us and help us accept this decision and guide us to the right decision right. yeah so he mm-hmm. um, ended up um, actually the next morning they had moved into palliative and I was like I can't go I can't go I have to go and I walked in and I put my hand on his head and he took his last breath and somebody said he was waiting for you and it was Mm -hmm. I will never the rest of my life forget that child and the whole thing the whole story unfolded that his parents and his 14 year old sister they were using them as shields, oh and the parents told the children to run, and they killed the parents, and they shot the 14-year-old and killed her, but he, with a shattered leg, picked up his sister's body and dragged her. So just an unbelievable story, and this came out kind of after the fact, you know, and it's just, and my husband, my husband said, you know, and I told him about it, he said, you know, you didn't go to Iraq to present your faith you right. didn't act, go to Iraq to take care of people he said your job was that that boy will never be forgotten mm-hmm. he will matter to somebody sounds familiar so that's why you know um, you know I have a tattoo which I swore I would never get in my Me entire yeah. life yeah um, but it was you know my grandbaby who passed away yeah and so, whenever you pulled your yeah. sleeve up to show your tattoo, I was like, mm-mm. Um, so, anyway, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And, you know, think about the impact that has on your life forever. forever. Now I messed my makeup all yeah. up now. And, you know, and you're right. And it, it just, there's things that, well, I mean, I this was four years ago. And there's still things. Like, I'll see, I was pumping gas one day, and I saw... A little thing a lost pet yeah and I thought this family is desperate to get this little dog back I said there's mm-hmm. nobody that even you know it just it things like that would just strike me all of a sudden yeah. there was no one left to look for him right so what I'm hearing is your heart is open yeah <clears throat> and who would 
I mean, a tragic event like that has opened opened yeah. your heart because our, our hearts we get compassion fatigue. Yes, I we have, do. I have lived it. <laughs> yeah, I understand yeah. compassion fatigue, but it sounds like this has opened your heart back up. Same thing in New York. Yeah, another Muslim patient, yeah. forty-seven years old, Ooh. and and somebody's telling you, yeah, spirits and bonded with him. Get healthy again. Think this guy's gonna do good. He's gonna do good, and um, it's kind of the same situation. It turned. Yeah. It um, he did great, but I got extremely attached to his family. Yeah. To the point where that was an unusual situation, and I just they wanted to see him, and I talked to our camp director, and he said, "Listen, these people. The last time they saw their family members, maybe getting loaded into an ambulance, and right. then they disappear." Yeah. And he said. There's a problem with it. They can come to me, and I'm like, I, I don't have a problem with it. So I would Facetime him, mm-hmm. so they could see him. And then as he got, and I met his children, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> kept in contact with his family. And they ended up transferring him, and he was extubated, and then he was reintubated, and then they're contacting me. And by this time, I was back in quarantine, and they're contacting me every day, and they're painting this picture. And I'm just telling them, tell them to try this, tell them to try that, and. On Mother's Day, they called me and he said he's gone. Oh my goodness. Oh, man. So, you're right. I mean, there is a compassion fatigue, but there's something, like you said, about being involved to that level that makes me not become hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I'm listening to this, and you know, I mean, I know what I do for a living, you know impact people's lives, but listening to your story and some of our other CRNAs that we've had on, I mean, you guys do, really do amazing work. I mean, you do have people's lives in your hand every day. And what's the old adage? Nurses eat their own? Is that what yeah, they're young. Yeah. Eat their young, yeah. But, Kill their wounded and eat their young. Yeah, I mean, it, it's because of the environment. It's yeah. because of the amount of stress and things you guys mm-hmm. go through. And, and it's got to make you a better CRNA oh, for going does. through that. And it's got to, it because you've got to be rational. You've got to be yes. logical. You can't be emotional in the OR. Absolutely. That's why you can't take care of your family. Well, you know, I have put all my family to sleep at once. Well, you shouldn't do that. But, you know, I mean, yeah. but, you know so as we, we kind of wrap this up and close, what advice would you give to... You know, maybe a, a CRNA who hasn't done this type of work, or maybe someone who's new, uh, you know, just graduated, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they have an interest to this. What would you say to them? I think probably the don't underestimate what you've been equipped with. You have been equipped with skills and knowledge, and it's there. And even if it's in a, an early form, it can blossom. And we are equipped. I mean, most of us that go to school have already been ICU nurses. Right. So we're equipped handling stress. Just to give you an example, I just had security training, which was very intense, through Samaritan's first. Mm-hmm. And they will mm-hmm. come in and in the middle of a class and they're dressed like terrorists. And they have guns. Mm-hmm. And they pull you out and they put a hood over you. Oh my god. Because they're they're trying to get you right. and it's right. very well they I was one of the three people and just to, even this is something not even related medical, but I was, it was really stressful, but I was able to maintain my um, 
keep your senses my, about my me. senses about me yeah, yeah. And, and all the questions they were asking and, the, and you know I was able to that's respond yeah. and stay calm well that's because yeah. you've been trained yes from day one in being a CRNA so my advice back to that is um do not be afraid do not underestimate yourself take baby steps you know even whatever it is you know they're deploying a lot of people a lot of anesthesia providers i know within our hospital go up and assist in icu do it yeah. volunteer to do it you know like you said the peripheral staff the respiratory therapy icu nurses it's a really good knowledge base to expand your level of comfort and if you don't try something then you're never going to grow you're never going to grow well no, you know i'm just thinking back to your case i mean you had some bias against the, the oh, muslims yeah. population and just doing this changed your whole attitude i mean you Absolutely. had a tattoo yeah. of a young man who was a muslim yes. on your and if if you would have if we would have told you that prior to you going you would have said what yeah there's no way <laughs> absolutely absolutely just not. what i told god yeah everywhere but there god and god's <laughs> laughing yeah we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll see, see about, about that, that. Yes. <laughs> watch this watch this yes look, plans god laughs look, look what i can do <laughs> look what i can do to you oh <laughs> goodness well you know i think this is this has been really good and you're doing good work thank you and we appreciate it and I will tell you that Sharon and I will probably never forget Abdullah, the 15-year-old as well. So you've shared that, and you've honored him again today. Thank and you. That's, so that's amazing. It is, and thank you for that. Thank you for giving me the forum to share, yeah, too. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, Sharon, I know this is kind of your favorite part of the It is. Podcast, so... We're going to do something that Sharon coined the lightning round. Okay. And we're going to ask you a few questions okay. just so we can get to know you a little right. bit better. And Sharon, you start it. Okay. If you could have dinner with someone alive or dead, who would it be? Jesus. <laughs> I, I knew she did. Yeah, yeah I, I knew, knew she did. Or David, King yeah. David, because I have a crush on David. Oh, so. really? Yeah. <laughs> I think I want to go with Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, He's got a head injury. Yeah. <laughs> Karen, what are you grateful for right now? Oh, I'm grateful for my profession. Mm. Because if I had not become a CRNA, my life would look very much, very different. I mean, I would still have avenues to do what I've done, right, but right. not to the extent. Right. So I am very grateful for my profession. Good one. Yeah. So what's your superpower? Um, aggravating my husband. All right. <laughs> <laughs> He's gotten so, I, I gotta just say this, my husband's a hero. Yeah. Because we have three adopted children from China, and they're all essentially have some special need. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I walk out the door, actually my job is the easier one. He's right. at home. Oh, yes. You know, and so, um, you know, he definitely is... She answered two questions in one. Yeah, yeah. Her superpower. Yeah, well, that's that's always been something you know I've often thought of. If I had to stay home, and my kids are great, but I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be the toughest job for mm -hmm. me yeah. in the mm -hmm. world. I it could is. not do it. One, yeah. you know, for the most part, you're interacting with kids all day long. Mm -hmm. You know, two, you don't get any socialization outside Adult, of that. Right. Three. 
your kids can make you say and do things that you never thought you would do. <laughs> It, you know, right? It's like, oh my gosh. The first know, English word my one year old said when I'm trying to get the car seat buckled in. Oh. Yes, yeah, so you can guess what oh. that was. <laughs> I said, she couldn't say mama, but she could say She could say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so last one. If you won the lottery, mm-hmm. what would you do? Oh, probably if I won the lottery, I would go PRN at my job and. Because just to give you an example, they begged me like three times to go to Mississippi. There's a COVID hospital set up uh, in Mississippi, yeah. and also Haiti is a, there's a, mm-hmm. a response to hospital there, which is surgical, but um, not being you know just can't do it right now. And, right. and that right. in this aspect, I could do this. It's I'm very I've become very passionate about yep. the disaster response, and it's you know there are places and where you just feel this is where. Mm-hmm. This is what, what I, I should be doing. This is what I'm meant to do. Yeah. Well, it yep. sounds like the whole military, also the military mindset. Yeah. I need to go back. I need to go yeah. back. People yeah. who keep going back for yeah. tours and, yes. and it's yes. that same draw. Yeah. Not that I know personally, but right. Right. that's what but I But it mean. is. I mean, it, it's helping people. And I think some of the military aspect is there's that adrenaline that comes along oh, with that and yeah, you know, some people become, I am you know, an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. I'm yeah. an adrenaline junkie. So, I mean yeah. yeah. At least you know it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean that was evident when I was an ICU nurse. Yeah. People would tell me that. Yeah. I yeah. agree that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I my husband wishes I would. <laughs> <laughs> well Corinne, this has been great. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, thank it's, you. it's such a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, you're doing good work. Thank and, you. We you know, appreciate it. Telling our, our CRNA listeners out there, your experience just mm-hmm. might get one, two, maybe ten to go yeah. and, and help and do things that you've done. So we really appreciate that. Well, thank you also. Yeah. Well, Sharon, thank you, Jarrett. I think so. Well, um, if our listeners are listening to us right now, Sharon, what do you want to say to them? I want them to tell all of their friends. I want them to post it on social media. Write a review for us because yeah, we, we found out. Yeah, yeah, we found out that through the algorithms, the more reviews we get, the higher we rise in the ranks. Maybe I need to ask Mike how he paid all those people to get. <laughs> Mike McKinnon has the most daggone reviews I've ever seen in my life. I know, and he's done done 10 podcasts or something. I mean, what did you do? But uh, anyway, but yes, please, you know, I know we got a lot of listeners out there that we hear from that listen to us every week. And the best way you can help us is to tell other people about us. And like Sharon said, give us a review, but only if it's positive. There's enough negativity. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. All right. Until next time. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504 504- 
394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.